This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you're not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast, where I'm here with my only friends. And my number one is back in the building. He's here. Hi. What is... This get is the, what... You're get the give sniffles me, over yo, there, Matt. What type of bullshit is this? Like, this is like, this is like when you like go to school the <clears> next day after you like played hooky, right? No. I'm sick. <clears throat> I, uh, I thought I had strep for sure. But it turns out that I just got whatever bullshit cold Melissa had. Mm-hmm. And now I'm miserable. You've always been miserable. I have always been miserable, but this is, this is doubling down on it. My throat feels like razor blades. I got the sniffles. But you're here for the people. Got a call. Well, I had to come pay my respects. But uh, Respects we, to who? Before we get into that, uh, let's give a little shout out to this week's title sponsor. Got a little extra cash in your pocket and looking for a great way to spend it? I've got the perfect idea for you. This week's title sponsor is DraftKings. And they're off. All right, uh, all right, I gotta do that again. I'm sorry. Mm. I made fun of Conrad, and I gotta you do it again. Make fun of Conrad. Look at Conrad over here, just, just so loving happy. life. So happy. <laughs> Gobble, get back to your seat and put the camera on me. He's so happy. Yeah, we, have to, <laughs> we have to pause to get it back to Conrad. We need this. My bad. Yes, uh, I got. Man. I got. Mm, that was he a goes, good one. No, no. In, in pre-production, he goes. Uh, you know, Conrad, why don't you just let me do the ad read today? You know, we need to have a, a good one that we can send them. Based. And then bang. I have. Uh, Couldn't even get through the second sentence. I have cold brain on me, you know? Yeah. What you I know. I mean, you yeah, do have an excuse. You always find an excuse. Don't worry. As I was saying, <laughs> let's give a shout out to this week's title sponsor, DraftKings. You got a little extra cash in your pocket, looking for a great way to spend it? I've got the perfect idea for you. This week's title sponsor, DraftKings, is offering an awesome deal for all new customers. Sign up using promo code FRIENDSPOD, deposit at least $25 into your account, and you'll receive $50 in credits. Easy as that. The DraftKings Casino is in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Check it out with this bonus code if that's your thing. Otherwise, download and enjoy DraftKings Fantasy Sports, especially as the NFL playoffs come around the corner. Type hashtag sponsor in the chat and head to the DraftKings app. Sign up using promo code FRIENDSPOD. Flawless. Flawless victory. Uh, Flawless victory. Very nice. As we transition into NFL news, uh, very sad day for Steelers Nation. (sighs) A real heartbreaker, man. This is is one of those ones where it's like, you know, I never really got to see him play. But as a Yinzer, we all grew up with that 70s culture. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen every second of every playoff game that the 70s Steelers went through, Mm -hmm. including their first ever playoff game, which was, in fact the one that included the immaculate reception. So this was the AFC divisional round versus the Los Angeles. Were they LA at that time? St. Louis. Oakland Raiders. Not St. Louis. Not St. Louis. Uh, I don't know if they were Oakland or LA, but either way, uh, it was against the Raiders. Um, Oh, got it. Last minute victory in Pittsburgh. The rumors were always that had, uh, had there been replay, this would have been overturned. Um, but the, the swirling rumors around Pittsburgh were that the refs huddled up after the play and they asked each other if they wanted to get out of there alive. Did you know that the rules were different back then? Where, uh, so 
and they threw the ball when it hit um, the other. Well, there the if Raiders, it would have hit Frankie Fuqua first, if it would have hit, hit Frankie Fuqua first, and it, and only and only correct. him, then Franco could not touch the correct. ball, could not catch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Which was, is a really dumb a rule. Really weird rule. I didn't, I didn't even know. Very, about that. very dumb rule. But yeah, I, I remember hearing like on all the radio talk shows, like DVE and whatnot, they were saying that the refs huddled up and the main ref was like, "Well, I want to get out of here alive." That, that's that a was, catch. Yeah, that was that's one a of catch the, and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Well, the, all those fans like stormed the. Uh, they stormed yeah, the field and the they were like, uh, "But you know, I think it was uh, completely, completely legal." I think I, I, I mean, see, yins are me, obviously, but I, I think it was a legitimate catch. I don't know From how. The footage that they have. That's I don't know how NFL Films had that second shot mm-hmm. where they're just like tight on Franco, mm-hmm. and you know the ball's a little bit below the frame, so you can't really tell if it touches the ground or not. But you can see that it doesn't move. So by today's standards, I think yeah. that uh, it would stand. But that was the beginning of a of an era. That was Franco's rookie year, 22 years old. This was the 50th anniversary uh, coming up as the Steelers do play the Raiders this Christmas Eve on Saturday. They had planned to honor Franco, mm-hmm. retire Friday his number. Friday would, uh, would be the exact uh, 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. 23rd of December. So the plan was to have uh, an honoring of Franco at the game on Saturday. I believe they were going to officially retire his number. And for anybody who doesn't know, the Steelers are notorious for not having retired numbers. Uh, this is only the third player in their franchise history to have their number retired. Mijo Green being the other notable one, uh, as well as, best I can tell, a defensive lineman. I can't remember his name, but he was seemingly from the 60s. Um, <clears throat> I looked it up pre-show, like why they never retired any. It's because they had so many great players playing skill positions, such as you know running back, wide out, that they couldn't retire their numbers because until 2004... The NFL only allowed running backs to have numbers between 20 and uh, 39 and wide receivers to have numbers between 80 and 89. So if they just start retiring everybody from that era, <laughs> there'd be no numbers there's left. no numbers left. Do you um, think they're going to retire Heinz Ward? No, he's honestly probably not even going to make the Hall of Fame. It's almost certain that he won't. Down bad. Um, he's not in he's the a friend- Hall of Fame? He's a fringe Hall of Famer that Adjacent. everybody's pretty confident won't make it. Yeah. Um, mainly because I think he was well regarded as a possession receiver who had great blocking ability. <clears throat> that yeah. doesn't really show up on the stat line. No, blocking doesn't get you into the Hall of Fame Should. unless you're a lineman. Not. <clears throat> but yeah, very sad day for Steeler Nation. Uh, the passing of Franco a couple days before he was honored. It seems like this was sudden. Uh, he announced the Steelers draft pick this past uh, spring. When Kenny Pickett was drafted, um, lifetime Yinzer, he's from Jersey originally, but went to Penn State, was drafted by the Steelers uh, first round, and never left. Just stayed forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who's flown into Pittsburgh, the first thing that you see when you come down the escalator is George Washington <laughs> and Franco Harris. Yep, catching the, catching the immaculate reception. I mean, it's, you <laughs> really can, uh, you can really get the two apart, you know? It's hard to tell. I mean, they're both national treasures. That's right. Heroes. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Those are your founding heroes. I can't remember. (laughs) I should know this, but I can't remember what battle was fought at the point um, uh, in downtown Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. One of them was like led by George Washington. Yeah. Uh, Are you sure it wasn't Franco Harris? It (laughs) might have been. Well, uh, Franco's Italian army was Mm -hmm. was right there leading the charge, Landon. Now you kind of understand a little bit better. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was the thing. He had his own Italian army uh, back in the day. You know, the Gabagools, they were, mm-hmm. they were big Franco fans. 
Yep. Your dad right now, I'm sure, is here in mourning. Oh, he is. Yeah. Had He's to be a mess. Always this a huge fan. I mean, first of all, my dad's a big Penn State fan. Yeah. Right? So he loved him when he was there. And then it's funny because uh, my mom always, <laughs> she always refers back to. Uh, she was in college at the time when Franco got drafted to the Steelers, and my dad was, you know, they were dating, and he was like writing her love letters, and the because lo- that's what you did back in the seventies. So adorable. Yeah, uh, and yeah. well, yeah, adorable until you, his love letters was, uh, you know, just sports stuff. <laughs> right. So like, she has this letter where uh, he says, "Hey, the Steelers just drafted uh, this guy from Penn State. His name's Franco Harris." I think he's going to be pretty good in the NFL. <laughs> Man, I remember so, reading one of those Chico. love letters. Hmm? I remember reading one of those letters on in that yeah. corner over there. Yeah, that guy was wilding. It was. <laughs> you couldn't just have phones back then. No, I mean they did have phones, but you know you gotta you gotta you gotta write the letters. Yeah, the, you had to you spend money for a long distance. Way. You gotta speak yeah. from the heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got charged for long distance calls, man. You don't even know how hard it was pre-internet days. I really yeah. don't. It was expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Have a girlfriend who lives 45 minutes away, you're I fucked. can't imagine that. I don't know what having a girlfriend is like, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> I love how it just always leaves them speechless. Maybe. I mean, what am I supposed to say, man? I'm trying to, trying to mourn a great <laughs> in Steeler history, and here we are fucking mourning your love life. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very sudden. I, I woke up this morning and... Literally a text from my, like my, my, the group chat with like my mom, my dad, and Michelle, <laughs> like it's, you know, just the headline of, uh, of his passing. I was like, what? Like, cause I knew this, you know, this is a big week for, yeah. for him. And yeah. So, um, I can tell you that. this, I'll tell you this much. The Raiders on Saturday, they're fucked. Oh, they're fucked. They're fucked. They, uh, like the Steelers will not lose. I, I, I just bet them right now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if you just uh-huh. want to pencil me in already for a win on this weekend's weekend words, which by the way I don't I don't mean to brag, but that Steeler money line came through last week for all of you nice. betting at home. Um, what is the line on that, by the way? Two and a half right now. Steelers yeah. minus two. And yeah, it's gonna be Steelers minus twelve and a half exactly. by the time game time it, it, rolls. It really is. It the line is I would think for sure gonna move and so. You know, it's not financial advice, but get your bets in right now. Yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> a lot NFA. of money funneling in on the Steelers. Are you going to bet them? I know, our weekend warrior, of course. I'm going to bet them right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amanda, Amanda got me, man. Money's hard to come by these days. You can't. For, uh, f- we, we do a, a friend, uh, White Elephant, every year. And I forgot about it, obviously, because I suck. Mm-hmm. And I needed a last-minute gift. And Danielle's like, just get a parlay and give that away like people love gambling for money i'm like that's actually a really great idea so i went through the sunday slate last week and i tried to pick like not super long shots but you know uh as many long odds as we possibly could to get the the parlay up it was a 25 dollar maximum so medium I spent, shots yeah so i spent 25 dollars <laughs> and uh the ticket was worth like 900 or something like that and when uh i can't remember who won it, it might have been greg yeah. Uh, but Andy saw it and everybody was like oh this parlay actually looks pretty good uh, but I don't know about the Steelers pick like they're all just like losing it like I can't believe you picked the Steelers over, over Carolina meanwhile it was the fucking Chiefs and Cowboys that botched the parlay everything else came through uh, but I had the Chiefs minus 14 huge mistake and that's a lot of points man that's normally how it, it works playing, they're playing Houston <clears throat> yeah but <clears throat> Chiefs money line was like something stupid like minus 1500 or something ridiculous where ha- having that even on the parlay was almost more harm than good. Um, 
and then I had the Cowboys minus four and a half. I should have known that was a fucking trap game. <laughs> that's a that's a trap game if I've ever seen one, man. I feel like that's how it always works. Huh? Every time something goes wrong, it's a trap game. No, 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 no. There are just certain games on the schedule, Landon, that you can kind of point you could, to. You can feel yeah. it. You just point to the spread. You yeah. see something's wrong. Like you just, you just know. When Sometimes you have a letdown game. You know, it's like you have a, a, you have a big. No, with a, yeah, you have like a big win, right? Like oh, maybe a game you weren't supposed to win or very significant game. And then the next week, you have to like go on the road and you play a bad team. Yeah, also but like when, you're traveling and you, you know you might take them lightly. You're you're on a high from the last week and you just have a letdown. It, it just it happens a lot. Also, when the ten and three Cowboys are only four and a half point favorites versus the four and seven Jaguars. Jaguar, <laughs> the jagged wires. How Vegas you, always knows. How would you pronounce Vegas it? Vegas always knows. Jaguars, jaguars. Oh, you you did the jaguars. 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 Jaguar. Jaguars. Jaguars. Jagged wires. Jags. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jag. I'm gonna continue calling them the jaguars. Somebody somebody actually <laughs> tweeted this the other day that said uh, if you pronounce it jaguars instead of jaguars, uh, whatever they hate the person who pronounces it jaguars. But. <laughs> I think that that's the way it's pronounced. Jaguars. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Jagoffs. Yeah. You know that was added to the dictionary? Jagoff? Jag Jagoff. Jaguar. Jagoff. Jagoff. What is Jagoff? <laughs> it's a Yinzer term for a jackoff. Uh, we like to make things a little bit more PG where we're from. Yeah. So basically somebody that rules fucking rules the dictionary was from Pittsburgh? Uh no no Miriam every year uh, like Ginsburg. votes in one non dictionary word you to know, accept like it was why? it was ain't uh like four or five years ago I think and then it was the it was the second definition of literally like two or three def two or three <laughs> years ago second definition and the reason why I yeah, got in was because everybody in Pittsburgh has nothing to do but to vote for this no it was yeah <laughs> yes yes Conrad the people in Pittsburgh outnumber the rest of the United States by clearly 10 to 1 well no the fact that they all vote would outnumber it what do you think this is do you think this is like some sort of democracy like contest where for what it's right for what it's worth conrad has a point that like if that there was a like a vote the the yinzer nation would show up yeah of course they would show up and win and everyone else in the country wouldn't care so they wouldn't vote no that's it's not the way that it it works it's not the way that it works but if it was the way that it works that's <laughs> what would happen the <laughs> you see the way it would have worked what, what, was, the way it should have yeah. worked was i don't think you guys know how math works <laughs> No, math is hard. Who cares about math and numbers and yeah, science? Like, what the hell are we even talking about here? But yeah, it was voted into the dictionary, I think, two years ago. Maybe, maybe longer. Math is a lot. <coughs> but it is officially a word now. Jag off. Jag off. I, I hear it in... Uh, Jaguar. I hear it in like sitcoms all the time now. Yeah. Mainstream. I don't even know what to think about that. Well, that's because you're a jag off. <laughs> <laughs> you're the clearest definition of a jag off. Like the, the absolute sure. clear... Like nobody's more of a jag... Than this guy over here. This is okay. Absolutely absurd. I mean, tell me, tell me I'm wrong, little man. It's okay though. He gets it popping. Uh, he does. Yeah, if you had to describe a, a, a real jag off, tell using me. the people like, on the podcast, <laughs> it's like it's like Yarmer Yager and and Conrad. Yarmer oh, Yager and and Conrad Wait, are like the two biggest jag offs. What's his name? Yarmer Yager. Who is that? You never heard of Yarmer Yager? Uh, you guys are all Jagoffs. Yarmir? You guys are you. Jag I call him Yarmir. These guys are all fucking Jagoffs. I call him Yarmir, I think is. Yaromir? Yeah. 
Who okay, is, let's call him Yarmir. Well, who who is this? It's a hockey player. He played for like the. He still might be in the league. <laughs> Dude's like fifty-two, slaying nineteen-year-old pussy, and fucking scoring goals. Yeah. This, 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 I'm, I'm reading the Urban Dictionary uh, definition, and it, it it does not describe Conrad. It's oh, a, that's you got to go to person, the, bro. You got to go okay, to well, well, Merriam-Webster. Yeah, a person, <laughs> usually male. We're on the right track, but then it says, you know. Uh, that has an unfavorable personality or annoying habits. That's not Conrad. Yeah, that's, that's fucking Conrad. Unfavorable personality? Sorry, buddy. This guy? Annoying Sorry. traits. Cue the laugh Sorry, track. Buddy. Cue the laugh track. Generally implies stupidity or ignorance. It's fucking Jagoff. Uh, womp womp. Fucking LMA9 Jagoff. LMA9, baby. Yeah, I mean, LMA9. He's coined yeah, LMA9. You're, you're just mad because you can't get it popping, man. <laughs> it's all right. You know? LMA9's it, in the chat. I understand it hurts. Yeah, Throw up the LMA9. popping. Not tortoise approved. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of not tortoise approved, we have crowned a WPT champion. Oh, we did. And he may have been. He's the, lucky I wasn't chip leader. Yeah, he may, never got those chips. He may have been uh, the recipient of what some would call a gift i don't know there's hot debate on the internet uh daniel is texting me privately saying these fucking nerds <laughs> and they're goddamn icm <laughs> you gotta be an absolute idiot to shove ace jack there you gotta be a jag off real jag off mm -hmm. uh i'm i'm very much i'm open on this one uh my initial knee-jerk reaction was that this doesn't feel right um Same. and uh you know, basically, it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, well, he has a two-to-one chip lead over the field as well as over number two. Uh, so it's difficult to make an aggressive error, I think, according to the ICM model. Um, but I think what my knee-jerk reaction was that maybe the model kind of gets it a little wrong here because uh, when we examine like the, the tail risk or the, the worst-case scenario occurring, which is us doubling up the man to our left, it really does change the future game simulation a lot, especially when um, being second in chips in this particular scenario doesn't yield a massive uh, chip disparity between number two and number three. So uh, chip leader has half the chips in play. Number two has a quarter of the chips in play, but everybody else has the remaining quarter, which means that they're all one double away from overtaking you. And we saw it kind of play out that way where, yeah, Benny still ended up getting second basically everybody finished pretty close to their ICM positioning. Um, but there were a couple dicey spots where had he not woken up or had he been, uh, you know, unfortunate in, in all in scenario, he probably could have finished anywhere as bad as fifth. It was possible. Yeah. Like highly unlikely, but after what <coughs> happened, happened definitely. Well, like, you've spun down stacks before. Right. Highly unlikely as, as it was, uh, presented going into the final table, but not post doubling up um, Elliot. No, correct. I, that's what I was going with. That is after that stuff happened. Like you've you've been a victim of the whirlwind, where you can just uh, go from where you are as chip leader to just out. Yeah. In a couple hands, where sometimes like not in your control, but kind of mitigating as much as possible. And the idea of the play makes sense from like. The idea of trying to shut out the guy next to you and then everyone else is sort of in the cage. But how often are you going to get to play this spot? And first is worth so much. Yeah, so we're going to let the hand play out for a moment here uh, while we kind of talk over it. And then we'll get a little bit into the dissection as far as the math goes. 
Uh, in the meantime, let's give a huge shout out to Elliot Hudden from Montreal, who bags $4.1 million for the win. Congrats. Nice job, young man. Way to go. Played well, very that well. Is, that is a stack of cash. That is a stack of cash. Uh, Betty Glazer, the mixed game specialist, does get $2.8 million for his efforts in also second place. Massive amount. Uh, Jean-Claude gets $2 million flat-ish for third. Adam Adler, one point six for fourth. Frankie Funk. Frankie Fu, baby. 1.3 for fifth. And then our man Colton uh, Blomberg, who had previously done Poker Out Loud live stream for us. You guys probably didn't remember that. It was way back in the day. It was pre-COVID. That was a sick yeah, shot. It was with, it was with uh, Colton, Kitty, Justin Young. It was the one where I folded uh, top That's pair right. of flush drivers, yes. Justin. Mm-hmm. Real fuck you fold. Um, Colton was Colton was involved in that stream. You, nice to see him on his come up. I, I don't know if you're here if you if you watch the stream, but you know he was the one I folded queens to in the main event. I heard you say that. Yeah, you probably didn't remember him from Poker Out Loud at that point. I, I knew I knew him. I knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, nice dude, great dude. He, um, yeah, I think they said his previous largest cash was uh, like forty thousand. He won a win event over the summer. Okay, I believe um, nice. for like forty thousand, and then his next biggest cash one million. That's so, nice. That is awesome. Nice. I'm glad love to Colby. see it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was talking to, to Matt about this yesterday where I was like slightly peeved because like, why is this the way it is? Where the numbers for FT could have been so much cleaner. Like sixth was one million and like a thousand dollars or yeah. something. It's like, well, they just do percentage. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of clean it up. You're just, you're just OCD as fuck. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's no need for that. It's, it looks pretty. Like, what's a thousand dollars? Let's just make it a million. That's tip money, bro. Yeah. Um, at least I think it is. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so yeah, let's let's dig into the hand a little bit. Um, I'm so OCD. We fortunately have Poker Twitter doing all of our hard work for us. So a couple of people ran this Hunt. spot. Big shout out to our man, Matt Hunt, who ran this spot. Uh, I believe he used ICMizer. I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, we have his sim as well as uh, Bunga Cat. Jargo. Ran one as well. Um, they're actually pretty close. So you can see, uh, wrong, wrong one, Guapo. Um, it's the actual tweet. Yeah, so uh, you can see in Matt's simulation that Ace Jack is shoving very, very, very low okay. frequency. This is HRC, by the way. Okay, so he used HRC. I think uh, yeah. Bunga Cat may have used. I Bunga Cat also used way. HRC. They okay. just had different colors. I say misers push fold. HRC can give you open ranges. And stuff. Uh, I see. I see. Okay. Yep. Uh, so this is ran for seeming seemingly two sizes: uh, min raise or all in. You can see it does a little bit of jamming with like ace jack off, ace 10 off, and then like ace five off is a pure jam. Ace four off is doing a lot of jamming. Uh, and then a lot of the suited hands are doing a ton of jamming yeah. as well as the small pairs. Big reason for this is that they don't want to raise call off or raise four bet um, when ranges behind are so insanely tight. Uh, Bunga Cat, it looks like his sim... <clears throat> I'm not sure what parameters would be different here uh he doesn't have any jams until ace nine off ace eight off uh it's very small on my screen so it's tough for me to see but i think it's ace nine off is where he starts finding jam uh, oh for, sorry ace, ace eight off ace eight off and then like the ace wheels yeah same thing ace wheels ace three ace four ace five does a fair amount of jamming and same thing you see from mats where it's a lot of suited hands and a lot of small pairs um <clears throat> so all of this is like pretty reasonable you know, I don't. 
it turned into this hot debate as to whether or not uh, it's a punt to jam Ace-Jack or not. And in both of these results, even though they probably strongly disagree with one another, it doesn't really make that big of a difference, right? Like, Matt has them jamming Ace-Jack off a small amount of the time. Bunga Cats uh, has them jamming never. But the reality is, if he had open-jammed Ace-5 off, which is a pure shove in both sims, I think we would be even more mm -hmm. likely to say, this is insane, yeah. you're torching here. Uh, and, you know, I think, the, I think all of this basically stems from uh, a risk profile standpoint. As human beings, we are very uncomfortable taking on asymmetrical risk. And in this particular instance, you're jamming to win two and a half big blinds. You're never jamming to get called. Like, if you look at the range that shoves, it never wants to be called. It just has like 30% equity when it is called, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're basically jamming in order, to, uh, in order to collect two and a half big blinds, which is somewhat insignificant. It is significant in the sense that you're trying to accumulate all the chips, and now you're taking another percentage of chips out of play from your opponents, uh, effectively. But um, a lot of it stems from, you know, the inability to realize your equity otherwise. Well, also, like, in addition, being able to deny everyone else their own equity, where a big line now doesn't get to defend. Other stacks that maybe want to play back can't because they're sort of in, call it, ICM jail, right? So you're just allowing yourself to realize all of your equity if you do somehow get called and all the hands are doing relatively reasonably. Like, that's why the suited hands do so well, because you can make a straight, you can make a flush. High cards are good, because if you could call by a pair, you still have an overcard, right? So the idea is very clear, but we can talk about how effective is it when you're not playing against four other super solvers, you're playing against people that probably aren't do betting enough versus min, and other implications like that. Yeah, I think uh, if you pull up the other tweet that I sent you, uh, the, one, the exchange between Matt Hunt and I, um, I think this is a pretty good indicator as to why there may be better exploitative options. Uh, so Matt says, the hijacks response versus min open, um, the big difference is that uh, you make the hijack fold 99% of the time when you jam. So in other words, the hijack's only calling with kings and aces. And it's losing something in the neighborhood of like 65,000 by calling off with queens. Um, so he's basically saying like your fold equity against the only guy who's a threat to you is literally 99%. And that is reason enough to jam. Uh, That's and assuming if they only call with kings. Or correct. Well, you can't fully make that assumption in real in real life. This terms. is why ICM breaks, right? right. Because what if he just calls with ace king or what if he calls with ace queen? Like you don't know what these people are going to do in the moment. Right. And the thing is is it's not like You all right over there? <laughs> it's not like uh it's not like studying uh a line in a solver where if your opponent deviates off of optimal, then you naturally take on that ev in icm land what ends up happening is somebody denies icm not only do they torch their own equity but they torch yours they torch as well yours on the way down. everybody else benefits not you right it's so mutually just drag you both down yeah right so mm -hmm. uh, effectively what happens is if hijack starts calling queens he may be losing like 65k but now you are also losing so where you were only making 5K mm -hmm. with the shove to begin with, now you start losing like some amount of money thereafter. I'm not sure what it is or if anybody ran it, but uh, it's certainly converging on zero, if not into the negative. Yeah. And it's impossible to, I mean, Matt's 
response was fairly reasonable in that they had a full day of study if everybody wasn't running these sims like they're just torching it anyway mm -hmm. people torch though yeah i know? was talking to toby last night and he said that like <coughs> he you know he said or it might be correct mathematically essentially what you said like it might be correct mathematically but he's like i don't trust the person to, to make the correct folds not only you know? not only that uh but it it takes it takes for granted that there's no other better options mm -hmm. and uh the real thing is um so the the big counterpoint that is is made here that i think is worth examining is if we choose an opening size that's not all in so call it min right if we choose to min raise instead now the hijack gets the vpip 7.5 percent so he basically gets to see seven and a half times more flops than he otherwise would but if you actually look at the response you can see that almost all of it across the board is through calls so right. in my opinion, if the hijack is in such ICM gel that he can't three bet queens and we understand that the three bet range is so tight and is going to lack bluffs. And, and, and when I say that, I mean like ace eight is supposed to, ace eight suited is supposed to three bet here 8% of the time. Ace seven is supposed to three bet a quarter of the time. Uh, ace three suited half the time. Like when that doesn't happen, he no longer VPIP seven and a half percent. He's now just overfolding, yeah. like, and it's a high level of probability. And this is no discrediting of Elliot's ability or knowledge or anything else. It's just when you're in that spot, and it's a one-time scenario where you don't want to just rely on sheer and utter numbers to guide you. If you get dealt a three suited there, who's to say that you don't just always flip fold, right? If it's fifty percent three by fifty percent fold. Who's to say that, practically speaking, you don't just always fold it? Right. I love A3. You know? So it's like, <laughs> now, maybe the hijack actually only VPIPs like 4.5%. Yeah, or less. And we know that it's mostly just nutted hands, right? Like, Queen Jack suited supposed to call and fold half the time each. Maybe it just always folds. And, like, when that's the case, the min raise just now starts to drastically overperform. But the other thing we don't consider is he can just choose a slightly larger size knowing that it tightens up the hijacks range even further and he can't really make any ICM blunders versus anybody else because they're so much shorter, right? So in my opinion, the whole consideration here is future game simulation of what happens when I double the man to my left and now put myself from pole position to second in chips by a very large margin. And I think the answer is you just don't win the tournament very often. Well, now you're in jail. Not only are and you worse, in jail, it's way but worse because now he has correct, position exactly. on you. Right? You're in double so he jail. has the position now. He's just in so much better of a spot. Correct. You yes, he was in somewhat of jail to begin with, but at least he had position. Right. You're in pure jail. Yeah. Right, because he and not you, only has chip and the chip disparity is different. Right. Mm -hmm. He 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 has more chips than than you had to start the hand. Slightly. Slightly, but still more. Yeah. yeah. You're in unlimited jail. You are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there there is no That's limitation right. to the jail. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, <clears throat> to me, the takeaway here is not that the ace jack is a mistake. I don't think it's negative EV. I think that we could run a thousand different sims and with all the different parameters that we could cook up mm -hmm. and all the different ranges that Elliot could potentially be playing from hijack, I think we still land on jamming ace jack to be like zero EV. Right. Right. So it's just kind of whatever. Mm. Uh, it's just so amazing that, that, that it actually happened where he just well, woke up with kings. Like, like, there's a difference a between something that is like him having ace jack and V pipping is positive EV. Correct. Right. He's making money by V pipping. The error would be folding. <laughs> 
It's just a matter of yeah. which is the max EV right. based off of what you can and can't do. And he is allowed to pick any raise option size that he wants because mm -hmm. it's no limit hold'em, right? So now Jam becomes worse than Min based off of strictly what we off think. Of it, strictly off of it in the EV standpoint. From the sim, yes. Like, he's still making 7K by jamming, but Minning, Minning is winning 9.8, right? So it's not like you're, not, you're losing money and making like a negative $5,000 play, right. but in comparison to the preferred option, you are losing money. Right, I, I, and the thing is, is like, I'm not positive of how sound these numbers are. Um, we have to take ICM modeling with a bit of a caveat. So uh, it's, it's, it's not a perfect model just yet. And I think what it doesn't necessarily uh, take into consideration is A, uh, the amount of EV that can potentially be lost whenever ranges aren't curated the way that the model says that they should be. Um, and then secondarily, uh, I know it does account for the payout structure, but I don't think it accounts for uh, the mistakes that are potentially made by everybody else who's attempting to ladder. Right. So um, what I mean by that is whenever we start to examine how the money is supposed to go in with the players who are in fifth through uh, fifth through third place, um, there's just a high probability because they're human that over the next 20, 50, 100 hands or whatever is going to be dealt, they're going to pass on uh, plus EV spots in order to uh, save their tournament life and potentially try to ladder more because the ladders only truly matter to them, right? The payout structure is such that it's 4.1 million to first, 2.8 to second, which is a pretty big gap. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it's a bigger gap or it's as big of a gap as what they're guaranteed already. Yeah. Right. So fifth place was guaranteed uh, 1.3 million. That's the gap now between first and second, which is pretty fucking massive. Okay. <laughs> a and, lot. Right. And, and you're looking at almost a near $3 million gap from what you're guaranteed to first place. So in essence, it doesn't create a winner take all, obviously, because there are pay jumps between fifth and first, but they're so much smaller by comparison, right? Like fifth to fourth is only 300K. Uh, fourth to third is only 400K. And then third to second becomes the first big jump where it's eight. Yeah, that probably could have been a bit fixed, for lack of a better word. I mean, I we could talk way. about uh, changing payout structures uh, at another time. I think uh, yeah. Savage wants to come on and kind of have that discussion. But the way I suggested payouts for this was eighth place made a million and then incrementally went up where right. first place was making like three million. Yeah, it makes sense. So the biggest jump would have only been between like first and second and 000. it would only been a couple hundred thousand. Right, because now you're, <clears throat> you're kind of playing it it's very top, like top heavy, right? Yeah. Because the jump from 300, 300, 400, it's like, whoa, okay, like these are big in real life dollars. Uh -huh. But in the tournament, getting a lot of chips is really nice because if you do end up getting to three left and then going from fourth to third, worth a lot, like in comparison to the ladders that already happened. Yeah, it's kind of strange, right? Because uh, I'm kind of painting the argument of um, fifth through third don't matter all that much or at least fifth and fourth don't matter all that much because the the difference isn't very large but the difference between like second and first is massive or fifth and first is massive so i'm kind of painting this picture where it's super top heavy and in my mind's eye that says oh we have to go for it more early right and we have to like not care about laddering but think if it was like super flat think if uh fifth place was getting like 2.2 .2 and first place was getting like three 
Yeah. You're still kind of incentivized to just go for it right. because you're not risking that much. Lesson is just always go for it. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> like, well, when it comes to the ICM model and such and the way that people make mistakes, and normally it's kind of why folding is the best option because calling can lose theoretical dollars, right? right? It's not like most people are going to make an error for calling with good hands. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have a hand that can call, you're going to make money from that. Well, so it is kind of speaking exactly to Queens, right? Calling off here. Um, the ICM model would dictate that Queens is losing money by doing so. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of trying to paint a, a counter argument, maybe more of the DCM model, if you will, um, where I would imagine when we know what his shoving range is, and the fact that que both queens and kings have the exact same amount of equity versus said shoving range, it doesn't seem to make sense that one is winning money and one's well, losing money. Well, the difference would be that queens and kings are different because... He if, has some king high hands. Exactly. Yeah. So when he has king yeah. high, you're more in danger land yeah, of you're facing a king deuce and you're like, right, oh, right. fuck, he's got 28% now. Yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. that's really scary because now you're not just fading an ace, you're fading a king or an ace. Right, so kings actually time. dominate some... Right. more hands more than queens dominate rings, yeah right so kings is like very like annoying in the sense of okay have to run it i know he has an ace a lot but we also don't know how wide benny is going to jam right is benny going to find seven eight suited or is he just going to min mm -hmm. most people are going to know that okay ace x off goes hard because you block aces for the person that can actually harm your stack and you have an over versus any pair yeah. that and then when he does show up with the with the uh the king x suited you're just printing Right, because like if he has queens and calls off and Benny jams king deuce, he's like, oh wow, I have a lot more equity than I really yeah, should have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm not even. I mean, I get it um, because there's obviously more suited kings jamming than anything else. But there's still a lot of suited queens that are jamming. He's jamming all the way down to like queen eight suited. Um, right, and kings are just kind of murdering those where king, queens yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, that's like fair. Queen, well, yeah. no, queens are murdering. I mean, him. queens are, but you have two queens in your hand, so it's likely he has sure, a king. Sure, like, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I understand, like yeah. just a removal standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It is, it is kind of a fascinating thing because we as a community are just so dogmatic to whatever tool is in front of us currently. And so, uh, the way that we're currently able to measure this clearly indicates that ace jack is making money as a jam and calling off with Queens is for sure losing money. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, you could take that at, at, at face value and move on with your life and probably do absolutely just fine in these situations. Uh, I personally would imagine that if we are able to study this math a little bit deeper, and kind of uh, understand the inner workings of the models and like where they're potentially flawed and how we can hopefully improve upon them moving forward. We might start to see some nuance shine through there. Um, but that's also just kind of me leaning into being okay with not having answers, <clears throat> like being a little more comfortable with the uncomfortable uh, and just saying like intuitively, this seems like I don't want to play jams from my positioning at all. Like I have an easier path to just accumulating mm -hmm. all the chips. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, what I would say and what I think is very normal for the collective community, but maybe kind of a lesson point, would, would be when you see something like that, something that kind of doesn't make sense to you or kind of looks bad from someone that has a lot of help and resources behind them, like Benny obviously is very cool with the the Euros and they put a lot of time and effort. They had a full day off before playing FT, yeah. right? There should be a part of you that thinks, okay, why do we think that he did that? 
you know because it's very easy from the general viewer standpoint or like someone just that's kind of just watching to be like why would he do such a thing mm -hmm. right but very clearly there's reasons and things yeah. and heuristics that can be taken over to learning as a whole and it's not just about jamming 50 bigs with ace jack mm -hmm. but it's about maybe finding a lead in a spot where you wouldn't lead or finding a check raise in a spot that you wouldn't check raise yeah. and using that as okay this seems like a play that i wouldn't normally do why do i think it's actually happening and then using that as kind of a standoff point to then maybe try to learn something from there. And sometimes it's wrong, right? Like we found out that ace-jack isn't really the right hand class for it, mm -hmm. but at least there's like that inquisitive sort of method that goes about learning. That's really important. So do we think he like studied this spot? Yeah, for right? sure. He studied this exact spot and then he just was like, okay, but if he studied the exact spot, wouldn't he have seen that it, it wasn't actually performing as well? No. I mean, it just depends which sim he ran. Right, so, so he could run one sim and it says, okay, <laughs> Ace Jack is the shove here, and then the other one says. Well, no matter what, like all the Sims we saw, Ace Jack was still like close, very right? low frequency. Yeah, right. Right. So yeah. maybe he rolled for it, maybe he didn't. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe he was just feeling something in game. Yeah, and it doesn't, in my opinion, like who really knows and quote unquote, like who really cares? Because you can also then make the argument of how well is somebody that's not second in chips going to play facing a 50 big blind jam? Right. Are they going to call the right pairs? Are they going to fold too much? Mm -hmm. Are they going to start calling eights when maybe they shouldn't? Right. So. It's always the in-between of we don't really know how everyone else is going to play. Right. And you can kind of make your best guess and intuit where we can make the argument of, okay, people are probably going to play too tight as a default based off of the real amount of dollars that are being played for. That min might be a better, more attractive option than jamming because you're supposed to get played back at at some frequency that it's isn't actually happening lower, in the machine. It's just going to be lower. And exactly. Yeah, I'd be interested to see a sim that didn't allow you to jam, but just gave you like maybe three different opening sizes from like min to 4x to 8x. I would so assume cool. in that instance, like my first logical guess would be you'd want to min because as chip leader, you're trying to play as many hands as possible. Well, we also just know that that's true of ace-jack, but there are hands like ace-five off and the suited broadways and things like that that can't really handle three bets. So, like, you might just want to commit yourself to the shorter stacks. Like, yeah. maybe you 8x those, and so you just have, like, a very clear and easy call-off, but if hijack three bets, like, you have a very blatant fold. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many different RFI sizes you'd get because then clearly you'd break down your range again because yep. aces would never want to 8x, right? Right, right, yeah. And obviously I'm being extreme with 8x. No, I course. don't know. Maybe it's 5x, maybe it's 4. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like, this is what we have the computing power That's for. That's what the machines are for, and then you can use them however you want because you can run a preflop custom sim for anything you want. It doesn't just have to be ICM, right? Blind versus blind 50 effective, you can run a 7x or limp strategy from the small blind if you yeah. really wanted to yeah, yeah and now it's just a matter of using those tools and making your own custom <laughs> strategy even if you're sacking some ev in some spots in order to gain an edge post flop or even pre-flop where someone might fold a hand that they're not supposed to because they've never seen a 7x before right yeah so, I'd, I'd be curious to know um how much of the future game simulations were ran and what could be expected from an outcome distribution standpoint of when uh, you double up Elliot. Like, I have to assume just based off position alone, his win frequency goes up substantially compared to what yours would was. have been in another scenario. Yeah. How um, much you could have won was... Right, what you should have done here was... Because yeah. you don't look good. You don't look good, cuz. Um, keeping with the pain of tournaments, since we all just wrapped up a series here and we have a bunch more on the horizon coming up <clears> in January with the return of the Brigada... The WPT at Florida Hard Rock uh, in Fort Lauderdale. 
And then finally, PSPC slash PCA at Baja Mar. Um, Gelfon put an interesting tweet out. I love the Gelfon, by the way, is on Twitter now. Yeah, he's doing the engagement thing. He's trying. Yeah. He made a bet. Yeah, I, I enjoy it because uh, I think, A, he has a lot of really great insight to share. Um, but B, it's one of those things where uh, if you stick around long enough, you become the villain. Yes. And Phil's managed to stay out, out of the public eye enough and in the shadows where he could never become villainized. But I think if we start to get a threat a day from Galfond, Uh-oh. It, might be, it might be all it takes. And, uh, you can see some Mulders. Proceed with caution, Phil. Proceed with caution. I want to I see a little spice out of Galfond. You know, I want to see a, a little... Uh, a little a little Twitter sparring mm-hmm. war, you know? No, like we, not, we all get trapped every now and again. Farrow will be there. I was just about to say <laughs> Don't you worry. A gal five will be there, all right? Farrow's got that bulldog in her, man. She'll, she'll fight every fight for her, man. Mm-hmm. Get, you, get you a Farrow. That's all I'm saying. It's true. Uh, so Galfon tweeted something to the effect of, does it feel like the more significant the spot you're in, the unluckier you get? This is negativity bias. Winning feels like it's what's supposed to happen. Losing stings and feels unjust, so we, we remember it. Uh, don't let it fool you into believing you're someone who always is unlucky. <laughs> and obviously, everybody who plays for a living goes through that sort of mindset. And I think this is really great advice to to give you perspective of like, oh, do you forget all the times that you win the 2080 or whatever? Right. Uh, but I thought Brokus's addition to this thread is actually a point of conversation worth having on the pod where he says, tournaments are especially bad for this. Literally, in a tournament, you keep raising the stakes until you get unlucky. <laughs> it's built into MTTs that unless you actually win the damn thing, yep. the bad luck always comes in the most significant spots. Yeah, that's good. That is that's so right. that is so true. It's so factual yeah. because mm-hmm. so there's a simple there's a simple law at play here that we overlook because we're operating within the constructs of what we consider to be our career path. But there's a simple simple rule of thumb or law, if you want to uh, call it that way, called um, gambler's ruin. And effectively, what it says is, uh, in, 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 in simple terms, it basically says, if you try to martingale something without infinite money, you'll reach ruin 100% of the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, effectively, what that means is if, if you keep overextending your risk time and time and time again, eventually the risk profile will catch up to you to where your risk of ruin is actually 100%. I can't wait to share this tweet to my mom when I get home. And like, you know, (laughs) Conrad's career is a perfect reflection of this. Wait, what happened? Where, you know, you start off the grind and you're, you're in the... $11 $11 WSOP, one rebuy, one add-on. You Good win tournament. It. Yeah, you win it for 32 hundo. And then, you know, you're playing 109s, of course, yep. immediately thereafter. Mm-hmm. And maybe you rip one of those off for like 15K. And now, all of a sudden, you're firing max late into a 5K 8 max <laughs> that, uh, you know, if things don't go well, we're going to be back to square one. No, we're just back to, no, we're square two. It would be the 109s, which you right, right. So right. I don't know what you're talking He's about. He's the underpants gnomes from, mm. from South Park. <laughs> Rule one, play poker. Rule three, profit. Actually, Rule two, <laughs> question mark. I think I went to the Orleans, actually. Yeah, but we'll be at the Orleans and we'll pluck a mystery bounty. But no, I mean, in all, in all reality, like I've had this conversation with him specifically many, many times because I obviously learned it the hard way too, where if you're continually playing up to the biggest game in the room because you feel like you're a good, profitable player and you don't actually assess how much risk is at play at that time, you will inevitably go broke in the biggest moments. And Brokus is spot on. That's exactly 
what tournament poker is. Yeah. And it's not to a T. Yeah. Uh, Landon and I were talking about this earlier today, uh, where I was saying, like, I think in certain lineups where my edge is perhaps perceived to be the largest, it may actually be the lowest because my risk of ruin is so incredibly high. So when I take 400,000 to LA to play 100 or 200, and by midday, day one, we're playing 1K, 2K, my risk of ruin has gone from like sub 1% to uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40%. Right. And then whenever we get to day two, we only have half that buy-in left. And now we have 200 K and the game quickly switches from one, two, four to two, four, eight to again, one K two K your risk of ruin is again, going to be around 50%. And it's like, if every time you sit in that game, your risk of ruin is near 50%. Eventually it's just a hundred percent because of compounding interest. Yep. Right. Unless you are the quote unquote lucky one that gets to win the tournament. Right. Because right. We talk, I talk about this uh, with, with friends where the skill edge in MTTs allows you to go from winning more all-in pre's to less in like a vacuum, right? So let's just call it 50-50s. So a really good player might only have to win eight all-ins, like eight 50-50s before, uh, win- yeah, before yeah. winning. And the chances of that happening are less than a fraction of a percent. Right, so you're good at poker, and you're going to make mm-hmm. a lot of good things happen. But you still need to be chosen to win these tournaments. Like you right. have to be the one that wins Ace King versus Queens final three tables. Where if you don't, you get twenty fourth, and if you do, you have a chance to continue to win more all ins because the show doesn't stop until you have all of the chip left. Yeah, right. Just need to win all the chips, man. All you need to do. But I, I think that the bigger discussion to be had is how to mitigate this risk uh, well, when navigating through your career, right? Because if you're a tournament player, this risk is inevitable every time you sign up. So the only way to mitigate it is to operate under proper bankroll construct- constraints. Right, right, that plus volume, right? Just play as yeah. much as you can with the role that you can and just keep firing and play well every time and not even, let it get to you, so to speak. Even volume, though, um, doesn't really reduce I'm not so sure it actually reduces your risk of ruin any all it does is allow you to actualize your win rate if we're of the perception that you can put in enough volume lifetime to realize said win rate right so like when you're talking about live MTTs yeah uh, if you look at a guy like Darren Elias and you look at strictly his live volume over 15 years he's probably played somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple thousand events Mm mm-hmm Right, I mean, I think this is on the high side. I was gonna say it might not even be that much. Say he plays like two hundred. Say he plays two hundred live events a year, which I think is high. You're just talking events or bullets, because like bullets, whatever. For fifteen years straight, that's a lot. Yeah, but so yeah, <clears throat> yeah, so, that's what I'm saying. So three K is like the upper end, right? Of of MTTs that he's right. played in live, and he's like, you know, he's fully goaded. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is this sample is nothing. Right. It's 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 just it's as close to zero as we can imagine before even looking at a substantial sample. But 15 years, the timeline of it is very substantial, right? So it's like two separate samples. There's the games played, which is very low, and you can't really take much away from. And then there's the time invested. And that sample is very significant. And the ability to win over the latter demonstrates that a theoretical edge likely exists, right? Now, you are allowed to win. The counterfactual to that would be that the game's played is so small, it stands to reason that he could just be many standard deviations away from the mean. Right. 
and uh, sun running for the entirety of his life. The you're very lucky right. situation. So like this is kind of the this is kind of the the arc that the professional tournament player has to fight through is a knowing that you're playing a game where you're destined to get unlucky in the most critical spots of your career. B knowing that you can't cancel out those unlucky moments through volume. Uh. But C also recognizing that win rates are insanely high because if you recognize pull tendencies, you can move off of equilibrium to garner a significant edge versus those who are making errors well, be it hear, within the structure or within uh, actual chippy V spots. All I hear is that we're all psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. That's all I hear right now. I was like, psychopaths. It's not that I we're mean, all psychopaths. It's that we all exist in this weird duality where online is none of these things and live is all of these things, mm. right? So if you look at online, there are very few people who reach quote unquote volume from a time standpoint, but there are many established winners who reach volume through a games played standpoint there aren't a lot of online guys who have stayed strictly online for 15 years yeah very few honestly i don't even know if i can think of any right because even a guy like mormon who i think might be the most winning online player of all time if you look at his actual volume it's probably mixed pretty heavily between live and online right because right, there's just so many high value spots yeah, live. The, the ceiling just you know tends to be a lot higher live right so <clears throat> uh when we look at a time invested standpoint that volume is almost always going to be strictly on the live side. And when you look at the games played standpoint, that's almost always going to be on the online side. And the problem is we try to compare the two as though they're interchangeable right. and they're not, right? So we have this weird duality that exists where we're measuring ROIs, we're measuring win rates, we're measuring markups, we're measuring all of these things that uh, by industry standard are able to contextualize skill and we're doing it all based off of metrics that are derived from online where the competition is stiffer, the volume is much, much higher, and the prize pools are much, much lower, right? So it's a true apples to oranges comparison. Like what do you take away from a small sample size then? Like when you're, when you, cause you just can't get a big well, enough one. How do you analyze that data and, and see where you are? Define small sample size. You mean for the live realm? Yeah, like uh, 3,000 games played yeah. over a lifetime. For the live realm? Yeah, or like, you know, like maybe even less than that. It's, like 1,000 games played, it's very like similar, 500. It's very similar to uh, how we look at like um, data of, uh, starts with an E. I can't think of it, but people basically who study like uh, nutrition, nutritional data. Um, or life of me, I can't think of this word. But anyway, uh, basically, we can, never, we can never find a real control, right? Because there are so many variables when it comes to lifestyle, food consumption, all of these things that no true control actually exists. And all we can take away are like sweeping hypotheses. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with live data whenever it comes. Like, you know, Landon and I have been talking about this a little bit more because Chewy went on a mushroom trip and was kind of like, yo, man, the math is just, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> <laughs> there are just there are just people that are from an alien world that are blessed and are going to win more money than they fucking deserve and i have to just accept that as a human and and for landon like coming I mean, part of that's you know there's a lot of truth to that Well, that's the thing coming yeah. from landon's point of view where he's been a volume-based player who's been able to actualize his skill set and tangibly measure how good he is that's unacceptable <laughs> but like for a guy like chewy or myself who are mostly in the live realm it's like not only is that acceptable but it's the best we can do. 
And it's why that we truly believe it's conceivable that people have ROIs in the 100, 200, 300% range because it's all predicated on the decisions that they make in that exact moment versus that exact opponent with that exact runout on that exact texture with that exact prize pool, et cetera, et cetera, because everything in the live realm is a one-off. Right. The way to like pursue and achieve greatness in the live realm isn't necessarily about the theoretical answer and being like, oh, Solf says this, I do it. But how much can you win and how much can you save in the biggest spots where it means the most? Yeah. Like, even if your hand's not supposed to do something, you pick up something that someone's weak, so to speak, and then you act on it. And now you win a hand in theory that you're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. And now this can lead to you winning the tournament, this, that, whatever. I mean, just go right? back to the ace-jack hand and it's, like, look what happened yeah. to the ace-jack well, The hand. irony, though, is then that that uh, that really feeds into the, to the um, risk aversion that exist in live, mm -hmm. which allows people who are risk tolerant to take advantage, to take advantage, yeah. right? Because right. what ultimately ends up happening is as human beings, we are very uncomfortable with asymmetrical risk. Mm -hmm. And what Landon's basically speaking to is that like in the online world, like, look, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to risk a spot where we're risking like, you know, 10 times the pot to win one pot because it's just theoretically sound and correct. Mm -hmm. And in the live world, people are going to go, I'm not going to fucking do that <laughs> because if I lose a thousand big blinds in this cash hand, that could be a downswing equivalent to like three months and I might not get to play these stakes again right. to recoup it all. Right. The or, machine operates through the lens of infinity where <coughs> we as individuals can't. don't get that beauty of yeah. infinite time. Yeah, it's impossible. It's just about, okay, here's this moment. How do I make the most out of this moment? Then again, you can play the in-between of if I jam ace-jack for 50 and I know that people are supposed to call X in these other spots, I'm just going to be the unlucky one if he does pick up a very 0.9% hand you get being kings or aces mm -hmm. and then calling, right? That's just really sad. And everything else after that fact is just, okay, I know they're all going to make mistakes because they're too risk-averse and they want a ladder. Yeah. Now you can say, oh, maybe you just jam range, right? Just depending on if you node lock for what people are and aren't going to call, mm -hmm. but doesn't make it a good play. And then you can talk about the other ways that people are risk averse because and it's I, not I, just risk averse for all the chips. Right. And I think that that's what it ultimately distills down to is uh, we, we acknowledge that this duality exists where one is a volume based environment and the other one is a read based environment. And what we do is we try to create simple strategies in the volume based environment that we can employ, uh, you know, w without, let's call it, uh, w w with uh, unconscious competency, right? So we don't really have to think that much about it. We can just employ these simplified strategies, right? And then we come into the live venue and we take the caveat of the read-based uh, element into play, right? So now, rather than just running it with deuces on a Broadway board because Solver says... Because you can. <clears throat> because we can, and it gives us permission to just rocket it's fun we instead take into consideration who the big blind is and what his calling tendencies are both pre-flop and on the flop right right and now we decide is it worth our asymmetrical risk now humans are going to fail at this but the best of the best are going to curate skill here because though they will still fail and they'll still be too risk averse they'll be so far away from the mean of risk aversion that they'll still print in this spot like they will hone in on a barreling frequency that allows them to win many, many, many more big blinds and maybe even many more big blinds than what the solver would win in this particular spot because their accuracy level 
of what their opposition is going to do is higher. Right, because now you're playing the game of, okay, this is how much it's worth in the solve. But now if I start changing and tweaking the solve, this actually wins more. And the solve knows it wins more because now it has the response as to what you expect to happen from your opponent. Right? The solver has the counter strategy at all times. Mm -hmm. So if you can create the counter strategy and say, okay, they're not check raising nearly enough. My hand to bet, even though I know it should check, goes up in value because right. betting works better practically. Now you're winning more than the machine mm -hmm. from the practical sense versus right. the pure theoretical sense. However, having the theoretical knowledge is ex extremely important when you're playing against upper echelon competition, where there's less money to be made in those gray areas as to what is this guy doing. Because right. now if he's playing like the machine, you're the one that gets wrecked yeah, for doing what you're doing. The tougher the competition, the closer they play to the machine. Right. So the baseline's important so you can know how far you can go on the spectrum of exploiting. Mm -hmm. If yeah. someone's really studied, right. you kind of have to take a step back and say, I know this is an indifferent bluff catcher. I think I have to call sometimes. Where now if you're playing in someone so far removed that they don't have the bluffs, you now turn that indifference into a fold. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think these are the conversations that... <clears throat> I like. Know, yeah, but also just like the ones that the <laughs> old are. guard have kind of been like fist-waving <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for years. But it's difficult to communicate, right? Because it's very easy to just always have the mindset of like uh, Solver says, because a lot of the younger guard is coming strictly from an online world where if you do take into that, uh, if you do take into consideration like read-based type things, um, you just start to fail, right? And Nick Howard's a perfect example of this where it's just like, don't deviate from pool tendencies. The data knows more than you do. And it's like, well, yeah, that's absolutely true. Whenever you have a ton of fucking data, that is relatively accurate. But when you have nearly no data and it doesn't necessarily trans, uh, transpose itself from one environment to the next, it becomes a lot more difficult to just like blindly follow. It's kind of like in this sort of new age, and I've had conversations about this with uh, friends and I call it the next generation of the, call it solver kids. The new, like people are more excited to back and like give money to kids that are super hungry just like got out of college education, like no math and just like will play poker based off of the solve. Yeah. It's like, okay, here's a bunch of money, go learn stuff and execute. Where if there's been people that have been in the industry from like a live sense for many years, it's kind of like, oh, there might be some tendencies and things here that are hard to unlearn. Yeah. Where now with you learning habits, the new strategy, you can pick up the new stuff in the live mm -hmm. realm as well over time, but know that your foundations are going to be grounded in super solid strategy where you can play and compete versus the best. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And I think it's a very small pool of people who are truly <clears throat> willing to just duke it out for a very small edge. Uh, we kind of see that in the high roller space. And truly, even America, high roller scene is changing a lot. Like, we're seeing these 25Ks and 10Ks grow outside of Vegas a lot because uh, they aren't they aren't um, solely running due to the quote-unquote regs. Uh, whereas, like, you know, for the Poker Girl Tour here locally, it's the same 15 to 20 in the player pool. And I think that that kind of pushes some recreationals away a bit. Um, but with that said, we are seeing a lot more, um, a lot more parody, uh, in the open field, 25 Ks. They're all open field. But, uh, when I say open field, I mean like the Over ones, three digit runners. Yeah. The ones that are attached to other events, call it WPTs, WSOPs, things of that nature, where they bring in outside, uh, money from the, the quote unquote reg pool. Uh, but of that reg pool, 
their skill is on display today. I believe there was 21 runners today yep. at the Poker Go Tour. Winner take all free roll, 500,000 up top, the best of the best. This is the top 25, or sorry, uh, was it 25 total and only 21 showed up? I think it was 21, top 21. So, uh, three so tables maybe of maybe, seven. maybe it was yeah okay maybe it was twenty one maybe it was a certain floor uh, number of points you needed to qualify but in any event uh, today in the Poker Go Studios is a free roll of five hundred k up top pretty amazing I mean that is just straight donated from Poker Go it's not being taken from the players' pockets uh, it's not being redistributed or anything along those lines this is uh, kind of rake back essentially for their rakes uh, we get to watch some, kind of yeah we get to watch some high class play. Uh, take place in those studios you can see uh, these are the rankings that Guapo has up right now uh, Steven Chidwick number one wow Phil Ivy number two low key just he mm-hmm. crushed the just series in there man huh yeah. so WSOP counted for some of this stuff yeah yeah of course the the high roller scene um, and then all the way down to number 21 being Benny Glazer who snuck in with his second place finish yesterday so huge shout out to that crew uh, all a bunch of killers. We've already seen D Negs out there just folding sec- or two pair to uh, a B thirty, a B thirty on the turn incorrectly. You know, sometimes you get bluffed. My man doesn't want to fuck around and find out. You know, but you can make a full house. You can make a full house. Your opponent can make a straight or a two pair or trips. Or just be lying. He could be lying. He was lying. Well, he was only sort of lying for thirty percent. I think that he was just. Lying, I mean, he had nays. He had top pairs. Yeah, thirty percent. I think he was just betting for value. Yeah, he was just value betting. He wasn't even lying. Right, not even a lie. Um, but yeah, are you gonna? Are you guys tuning in for this one? Yeah, it should be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with the five hundred k free roll, winner take all. Uh, I see. I'm not really uh, real, right? Because you nope. just, you need to play for the win. Chip EV, baby. Get all the chips, win a prize. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, it'll be a fun final table to watch, but I think what actually is worth tuning in for is the fact that they're showing coverage from three tables down. And that's something we don't get enough of when it comes mm-hmm. to these high rollers. So we don't actually get to see much of the early stage gameplay in these high roller MTTs mid, mid-game. mid You know, kind of the, the real secrets of the, the secret sauce, if you will. How you play final tables when everybody's an average stack of 15 blinds is kind of just like, well, we have machines that can tell us what to fucking do there. And we can see that you guys all do a pretty great job of emulating said machines. But what's really going on here when you guys are 75 effective three ways on the turn and you hold middle two facing a B30? You fold. These motherfuckers are folding. Motherfuckers be folding. Real kid poker out there, man. He's in these streets. Limping is pimping. Limping is pimping. Pimping, baby. Calling is balling. Colin is ball. I like Colton that. is golden, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I like Colin is balling. <laughs> I got them all. I just got to figure it out. Give me a couple seconds. Yeah, let's see three, baby. Yeah. Um, you do like to call. I do like to call. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm never right. It's so, it's so hard to be right. It's so you, miserable. My friend, my friend had a theory them to uh, when it comes to like calling three bets <clears throat> that the people that call more three bets are people that got bullied more often and we'll take a stand oh i'm the opposite uh for me it's if you call more three bets it's likely that you were bullied when you were younger so now this is how you take a stand as someone who loves calling three bets it's it's just more like fighting right so like now you learn like you learn that you can fight i don't even want to fight i just yes you do i just want to get to the river (laughs) and then fight no for me it's not about (laughs) fighting it's it's about the embarrassment of folding a better hand (laughs) Oh, I don't have that. I, I can't. I can't let my pride uh, get in the way, even though I tend to. 
You know, it's like if I have King High and I just think that you don't. <laughs> King High, I need, high. I need to see more more cards, man. You know, I need more information. Like you could just be lying to me, and I will not be lied to. Like you're not, you, not you're not trying to, to make a pair. You're just trying to wait to see if you can just win. Yeah, I just want to be a lie detector. Like, God damn it, we, we had a thing going on here. You know, I trusted you, and here you are <laughs> breaching this trust by lying to me before the flop. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm going to double-check this one. Do you think that you would have more money if oh, yeah. you folded <laughs> or oh, yeah. called more money? Oh, fold. I'd be so much richer. If so I it sounds like me. you're a really shitty lie detector. Terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, compared to what? Compared to just, like, folding and believing. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we're 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 measuring two extremes, right? And I'm somewhere in between. If I always called or I always folded, the idea would be that I'd probably break even. Um, in theory, in practice. In practice, well, who knows, man? Every spot is unique, you know? In live poker, at least. Online, you should call more. For Made sure. some real fuck you calls. <laughs> you, you, you have... Oh, boy. You've, you've settled down in your old age, though. I've I don't seen... know. I bet, I bet called King-9 suited versus Jew when we were playing the stand-up game in a spot where... As soon as I bet, I go, fuck, that's a mistake because he has to, like, like, we were the last two standing. I was like, he has to always bluff. And then he did. And I go, well, if he has to always bluff, <laughs> King, King High is a pretty good hand. I mean, you're, you're kind of right, though. And I got there. Yeah, mentally, I got there. Did you win? I won. He had Jack High. Wait, it sounds yes. like you were a genius. Sometimes I'm a genius, but it's by accident. There Human was another one where uh, I was playing against Holiday on Live at the Bike, and she, like, four bet me pre- and I had ace king, I think. Mm -hmm. And she just chose like a weird size on a queen high flop. And I called and then the term was another queen. And she picked like a really weird size, like 80% with like less than pot behind. Right. And I just said, man, I don't know what the fuck she has, but I do not believe this woman. <laughs> I'm all in. And I jammed and she like sigh called off and had ace five of hearts for the nut flush draw. Mm. And I was punished. <laughs> she hit a heart. Okay. Womp, womp. But the but the the read though, the read was worth losing the pot. That's all you can do, man. You got to make the reads. You just got to make the reads. Don't forget to head over to DraftKings app. Sign up using promo code FriendsPod when you make a twenty five dollar deposit. DraftKings will give you fifty dollars in credit. That is code FriendsPod. Only at DraftKings. Link is in the description below. Thank you guys all so much for... Uh, you know what? I don't want to step on your outro. Go ahead, Conrad. Thank you guys for rocking with us this week. We're going to be back one more time. What's two more today? times. Today's two Wednesday. more times? Two more times. We'll be back two more times. And we're going to take you know, a little holiday break. But thanks for rocking with us. We love you. See you tomorrow. Peace. Peace.